welcome to The Breakdown with Brock Corbin Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Michael Broadcorp. And I'm Becky Scher. And once again, our guest host, Jeff Kolb, is with us. Yes, he is. This week, we're pleased to welcome Patrick Connolly to the show. Patrick is a friend and colleague, and unfortunately, similar to the situation with Colleen Kelly, his family has also had a recent incident related to vehicular crime. For Patrick, this tragic situation relates to when his wife and daughter were carjacked at gunpoint at their home in St. Paul. We will break down this horrific incident uh, as it occurred and how it impacted their family. We will also break down the realities of public safety troubles, the disparities across the metro when it comes to consequences and monitoring of convicted criminals. We'll also break down how the Connolly family chose to build a coalition, take action, and get new legislation passed. Finally, we'll end the show with our typical tweets of the week and food fight with Brock and Becky which I need to disclose since this is my first episode back in a number of weeks, we're going to have some conversations about your, your takes recently. Uh, this will be our first food fight with two guests. As again, we welcome our guest host, Jeff Kolb and Patrick Connolly. This week, we're going to dip, very good there, Becky, dip into some controversy with our food fight about top condiments. Thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, what should we talk about? It's, Welcome back. It's great to be back. I'm really excited to be back. This is the first episode I've been on in over a month. It's also the first time you've worn pants in over a month. So uh, congratulations. Well, technically it's shorts, but I'm really excited to be here. We're very excited to have you back. Now, it might there might be a little rustiness in some of this. There might be the occasional banging as I get re-kind of climatized to the studio where we're doing this, but I thoroughly... And I'm just really excited about being here. Jeff, are you going to pay attention? You're going to be on the phone the whole time. When you say something interesting, oof, I'll listen. We're starting that way. I think you guys- Give him a little bit of power and he gets sassy about things. I think you guys did a fantastic job over the last few weeks. The shows were A+. plus. Your discussions were fantastic. Um, your food takes were garbage. And I've mentioned that before. Your food takes were garbage. Um Becky, your thoughts? Well, we, uh, you know, trying to not go completely off the rails without you here. Um, uh, for those who m don't know, Michael runs a lot of the behind the scenes, the tech side of things. The audio um, keeps the the train running on time. And um, we did our best. We did miss you greatly. We're glad you had some time to, to recoup, recover, uh, rest up, enjoy, I guess, not wearing pants. And uh, well, so. we're, <laughs> we're glad you're back. A couple things related to that. First of all, I was off, and I want to disclose to the listeners what happened. Um, I'd been hit by a car in end of April. I had come back for a couple episodes, and I started to realize that I was having some difficulty um, dealing with the after effects of the crash. Um, I have had a wonderful care team. Uh, I want to start with you know my wife, my kids, friends and family. Uh, you two have just been remarkable. Um, but as I was recording some of our initial shows after the after the after I was hit by a car, I noticed some speech issues. I had some issues uh, slurring on my words. My timing was off on some of my speech patterns, and so I realized that I needed to take a step back from the podcast. In that scenario, the podcast was incredibly helpful to that exercise because listening to the podcast, hearing how I spoke, I realized there were some issues, and so I've been dealing with uh, some physical therapy, some speech therapy, and dealing with some of the other physical effects of the crash. I want to do a shout out without violating any HIPAA laws to my care team. 
of David Kari, Jason Lisa, Nicholas Yakup, and Jason were all people, I'm not identifying by their last names, but they're all doctors and care providers who've been instrumental to me over the last few months and particularly the last few weeks. Um, the speech therapy has was incredibly important. Uh, it was very concerning and scary to be in a type of situation where I was realizing that my speech patterns were off, my cadence was off, my ability to find words was off. And so uh, taking some time off has really helped speed up my recovery. And I'm so appreciative of both of you for, again, the job you did, aside from your food takes, but also allowing me the space to do this. I was, it's like uh, Christmas morning this morning, knew I was going to be back in the studio here recording this podcast because I've missed it so much. And um, it's meant a lot to me, but you guys have done a fantastic job. Now, that being said, I have a couple surprises for you. A couple surprises. Jeff, can you, if you want to maybe just put down the phone for the last thing, you might not realize this. We are recording. So maybe you want to put the phone down, maybe pay attention to the conversation. And I was, just, just talk for a couple of seconds. That'd be great. I was just waiting for the part where I get to talk. Well, you, yeah, that's, that's fine. That's the but interesting you can, part. You can, be, you can be engaged. So I have a couple couple gifts for you guys, okay? We start off. Now I have gift bags for you guys to leave with. All right. But I want to just share share a few things that God, I have for you. I have okay. and Chews in them. Well, the rustling you hear, of course. Oh my God, you are is totally right. The wrestling yeah. you're going to hear in the background is the bags that I have because I want to display these. So I got a couple Charleston this shoes. This is too funny for both of you. It even says "Try Frozen" on there. Mm, you aren't kidding. Grandpa candy. It's very nice. So I got Charleston shoes for both of you. Thank you. I also have a can of 1919 root beer for both of you. Ooh. That was my one of my takes. Nineteen nineteen Ripper. I don't think either of you have had that for any particular I have not. reason. Not. Wow, he really did for come Becky, with gifts. I got a bag of <gasps> take five for you. Thank you. How did you have him? No. Well, you, I had to go to like three stores to find. Okay. Take five. Well, you're gonna enjoy one afterwards. Okay. So so take Thank five. You. I take five for you because it's a top five. A can of collard greens. Oh my god. <laughs> So there's a can. Shout out to Brian Strasser. And that great reverberation we have going through this yeah. year. Now, uh, collard greens. Collard. Did you guys know it was called collard greens? I did. I did. Collard greens. Did Not, you? Um, well, I might just disclose it on the air since we have can have this discussion. So you know you don't have to admit to this. I know I don't have to admit, but but I. We are about taking accountability in this. This is what we do. So I have been helpful behind the scenes in doing some of the production stuff. Very minor. One of the things that I was helpful with was creating some of the graphics, which was helpful to me. Brian Strausser was on. You guys were doing food side dishes. Mm -hmm. And Brian Strausser said that one of his favorite food dishes, side dishes for barbecues, was collard greens. Correct. In the graphic that I posted, <laughs> I wrote the phrase colored greens. Yes, yes. And did. I was incredibly embarrassed. Now, it's an episode of The Office Michael where, Mike, Scott. where Michael Scott does that. Now, I knew that it's collard greens. I wrote collard greens, and for a very short time, that's what the graphic said. Now, I wanted to share that experience and own my responsibility, own my culpability for that, but I did want to bring in some collard greens for both of you guys. I don't know your experience with collard greens. I've never I, had I, such a I, thing. I've never either. There was a third can bought, and I tried it, and really not my cup of tea, but I at least wanted to have you guys share, an ex share in that experience. All right. Yeah, I grew up north of the Mason-Dixon line. I like to stay here. So not a lot of experience with collard greens? No. Now for Jeff, I have a gift certificate to Taco Bell. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> oh. 
And for, All right. And for Becky, I really want to make sure you get that ice cream cake. So here's a gift certificate. Oh my you God, you're kidding me. Hopefully gets you an ice cream cake. At Dairy Queen. You're too kind. So here's, this is so great. And I'm gonna eat it all in one sitting like Jeff assumes pregnant. So let's women do. let's talk let's talk about the ice cream cupcakes. Not pregnant now. This was referring to right, previously. Right, right. Because apparently it was offensive that I asked <laughs> Becky if she ate a whole ice cream cake all in one sitting. I don't know why that's offensive. I just thought it was a very interesting <laughs> comment to ask. And I thought it was a fine question. I mean, sometimes you need calories. You're growing a whole new human being inside Fair. you. They need calories. That's, how right, that, that's you, what you do. You, yeah. you eat a lot of food. Have you never been around pregnant people? Like I've been around uh, pregnant people enough birthing, that I've made... Birthing people, as we I've, call them now? I've been around pregnant people enough that I wouldn't inquire about the eating habits of a woman when she's in her pregnancy. That I wouldn't inquire and ask questions about that. Not to say that I'm experts on a lot of things, but that quote's dug out. So I hope you guys know that how much I missed you guys, how much I appreciate the work you did in every one of these gifts from the heart, including the collard greens. But definitely, I hope that you get an ice cream cake. I will do it. And I hope you get what this Taco Bell thing, What what's your favorite on there? Well, so I've been ordering the Mexi Melt okay. lately, but you can't order it off the menu. You have to order, you have to order a cheesy roll up and then add beef onions and tomatoes and that gets you pretty sure close they love you there yeah i always I, say it apologetically i do have to say um so my, my my son just turned one and on his first birthday we got him his first dairy queen ice cream cone big fan cried when we took it away i'll be sure to tweet the the photo evidence of this um but i'll, I'll maybe share a little bit of ice cream cake and now him. now we talked because we we tweeted back and forth right because my wife who's a huge Dairy Queen ice cream cake fan herself found cupcakes, Dairy Queen ice cream cupcakes at the store. We were, it was her birthday and my parents took the kids for the night and she wanted to go to Dairy Queen and get some ice cream cake and was going to get a cake. And I said, what about the log? Let's see if we can find the log. And but then we found the cupcakes. So and it I, is wonderful information to know. I haven't done it yet. You know, the fact that you have to like walk inside a store and go to a, a case Yikes. and you know can't just drive through. Um, it's a bit troublesome, but I'll check it out. Will 25 bucks make a dent in you yeah, getting an ice cream I'm cake? I'm all about it. Doing and, it this weekend. And uh, $25 at Taco Bell. I mean, you're like the CEO of the company. Right. And you, can, you, can, you can get one of everything. You can get one of everything there for 25 bucks. That's like 10 Maximouts. Well, I hope you guys enjoy it. And I do. Very I, appreciative. This I, is so kind of you. And you've had a Charleston Jew before? Yeah, I did a couple weeks ago. And have you ever had one? I will. I, I have not, but okay. I will do it. Um, not during the show because I think that um, that would be really annoying for people listening. Yeah, I need but, to hear uh, that kind of. I'll, I'll give a I'll give a tweet update. Good, and I I have an extra one for your husband and an extra one for your spouse, so you guys can just really share that experience. Perfect. Thank you. But I want to thank you guys again. All these were men from the heart. You guys did a wonderful, just an absolutely fantastic job, and uh, been so helpful to me during this the last months while I had to uh, deal with therapy, convalesce take care of myself and not wear a lot of pants or a lot of sweats, but mm -hmm. yeah. So let's get on to our next conversation. All right. A few weeks ago, Becky and Jeff had a heavy heartbreaking yet important conversation with clean Kelly about vehicular crimes and the issue with a pattern of light sentencing for those criminals, despite serious outcomes. 
Today we are welcoming Patrick Connolly. Patrick is someone Becky and I have both worked with over the over the past few years. Becky currently works at Velocity Public Affairs, a firm at Patrick and his partners founded and built over the last two decades. We are in fact recording at Velocity headquarters uh, in, in the studio that they have in their office. Uh, unfortunately, Patrick and his family also have a heartbreaking story related to Minnesota's public safety problem. Let's welcome Patrick to the show. Patrick, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Becky. Thanks, Jeff. Um, glad to step 10 feet away from my office and chat with you guys. Come all the way down the hall. Yeah. Well, we're grateful to have you here today. Um, and if we could just kick things off with you explaining a little bit about um, what happened about a year and a half ago uh, to your family. Yeah, it was uh, late December 2021, 10 o'clock in the morning, where my wife was coming home from taking one of our daughters to the local drugstore and um, she pulled into the garage and uh, another car followed her to the garage and uh, got out of the three young males got out of the car and, and um, asked her this, um, I guess this St. Louis park or another town that wasn't St. Paul. And she's like, no, this is St. Paul. And, and um, they kind of stormed the garage and pointed a gun at her while our daughter was in the car and said, you know, give us your purse, your keys. And they took her stuff and, and, you know, she begged and, and said, let me get my daughter out of the car, um, probably about 12 times. And meanwhile, I was in, inside doing a team's call, you know, it's what we all have been doing these days. And, uh, she turned the corner after she was able to, you know, um, just heroically get out Maggie, Maggie from the car. And, and, um, and she turned the corner. I could hear her screaming, Patrick, they have guns. They're taking my car. Uh, they want yours. And and she was running that letter in the house. I could see these guys in the in the in the car or in in the garage. And you know, I, I, yeah, I was just screaming and yelling at them to get out, calling the cops. And um, you know, they drove away with with uh, Kelly's car. But I, I you know I thought that and she thought that they were going to come inside the house because they wanted my car as well. And um, just a frustrating it's just a crazy day you know and 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 as it happened you know called 911 the cops came over it seemed like you know a long time but it was only like 9 minutes and and from there um you know it was just chaotic and lots of anger going on in the household and um and um, and, and thankfully um you know, the police were great um, a good friend of mine is, uh, lived nearby, asked him to come on over and he did. And he had some connections with the local law enforcement and specifically with the sheriff's office. And we were able to connect with the sheriff's office on, on, um, with that car manufacturing company to turn on the satellite and they turn on the satellite and then they end up, um, finding the car about two and a half hours later. They did within that two and a half hour spree, um, the three that took the car committed about two other armed robberies. Um, and they one that before they even turned on the satellite, they, they were pretty quick to find the car, uh, in the twin cities. And then one guy jumped out of the car, they caught him on foot. And then once they were able to, uh, look at the car, they, they, they caught the other two. Now, if you've follow me on social media, you know that I've mentioned this case before without identifying you in the past, yep. Patrick, um, we, we did, we collectively, a group of people did a lot to kind of raise awareness on this case and issues without identifying you and your family for a very long period of time. You've in fact done some media about this story, but this is probably the most extensive conversation 
that you've done on this on, on this matter. Yeah, that's right, Michael. But I, I you know, um, it's been a journey, you know, a process on, uh, you know, a therapeutic process and going through this stuff, um, for lack of a better word. But um, we were very blessed to have a lot of good friends, uh, a lot of good support to help us get through this chaos. And and um, you know, one of those good and. I'm glad to see you, Michael, you know, um, but one of those good friends was you. You called uh, me up that day and said, uh, when you heard what happened, said, hey, you know, Patrick, you've got friends that can be helpful. How can I be helpful? And without hesitation, I said, Michael, I need to get smart on this real quick. And said, would you help me research the case and and um, this crime? And you said, absolutely. And you and uh, Mark were just wonderful and helping us track the case and which led to, um, us having conversations and we'll get into, but being smart on the issue, not just, you know, mad as hell, which I was. Um, so before we kind of get into what's going on in the state and in the country with car crimes and, and things of that nature, um, just want to, you you and your wife and your children are all okay, are, you know, obviously a pretty scary, traumatic situation and, have have moved to to take some action here, which we're going to chat about. But just, um, I mean, a while to get over that, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, me and my wife and I are two different people. You know, um, um, she's definitely more of an introvert. And I'm more of an extrovert, and I wanted to, you know, tackle the world and say, you know, this is complete and utter nonsense. Like we have to do something, and and so I was angry of the the act the day of, and then as we learn more about the case and how. How these individuals arrived at our house uh they should never have been able to be there in the first place um when we dug in to learn more about the case i mean uh, and that's what where it got frustrating and that's where you know we decided to to find a way to take action you know and and um um so that it's it's a series of i don't know if there's like a 10-step program to how to deal with this frustration with with crimes and and you know my wife was a hero that day, saving herself, saving our daughter, and probably saving me, you know, as we learned that uh, all these young kids um, that are committing these crimes, they have guns. And that's what the cops told us. Like, you're lucky you didn't run out there. Um, and, you know, it, I don't know why I didn't, except Kelly just said, stay in here. They got guns and lock the door. And, um, you know, which is, you know, was reminded by my neighbor, uh, former friend, or a friend and boss, Norm Coleman. Um, he just said, it's a good thing you didn't run out there. You like, there would have been blood on the alley. It could have been yours. It could have been theirs, but there would have been blood. And that, when you think about it, it's kind of frightful. So we talked a little bit, uh, you know, in the lead in um, of our recent conversation with Colleen Kelly and and the vehic vehicular crimes, lack of consequences or follow through. Um, I, I know going through this process, you found out a little bit more about the individuals who were included. And maybe you, Michael or Patrick, wanted to speak a little bit to um, some of what you found out of, of, of their past or, you know, why they were even able to commit this crime in the first place. Well, we were able to track, you know, a couple of kids, young kids, young males they caught were from the ages of 14 to 18, and one was 16 or 17. And, um, you know, Michael being, um, you know, the researcher that he is, was able to find information out on the 18-year-old. And when you pull his file, 
you know, he he shouldn't have been there. There was a judge that said that he's a danger to society and that um, he shouldn't be released. And he got released when just kind of fell through the cracks of the juvenile system um, is what we kind of arrived at. And when you sit down with officials that are part of the criminal justice system, like how do you explain a kid with this bad of a record when one judge said he shouldn't have been released and then should have been released to Moorhead, he's released and then he's right back in the in the place where, where he was and causing, you know, havoc in the community and these are just uh it wasn't just like hey i'm gonna steal a pack of gum from the local drugstore it was like these were armed robberies these are felons these are um really bad crimes i'd like to get jeff in the conversation a bit more but one of the things that your case was so frustrating to learn through the lens of your family having to go through it was the extensive background of the people that were involved and how fortunate you were that your wife and your children and you weren't hurt because by what's difficult in this in this scenario and talking about the criminals that were involved in this case is you say their ages and it masks in some way the severity or the seriousness of what their record is like and these are serious these are these are individuals despite their age that have substantive criminal records that involve dangerous, dangerous crimes where someone could get hurt. And that was incredibly frustrating to learn how the system uh, gives so many opportunities for people that have had these types of troubles in their past to continue to float and move through society. Jeff, and you know, we've had you on, you've been on the show multiple times, you've been guest hosting, you have experience in a variety of capacities in life, but you're on the Crystal City Council and other aspects of your life. Talk from your perspective and also the similarities potentially between Patrick's story and what you guys discussed with Clean Kelly. Well, there's there's one similarity that that's very striking is that again, the the man who um hit and injured very seriously injured clean's daughter was not unknown to law enforcement either he had a pattern of of reckless driving in the past and had this wasn't the first time that he had done you know maybe not to this extent um but he had certainly was not unknown to law enforcement it seems like that's the same situation we're dealing with here the contrast i think when we talked to clean one of the interesting things that that she said either on the show or in in one of our emails prior to the show was i'm not a policy expert this isn't my i'm just somebody's mom right and so i think the contrast here is um patrick i don't know if you consider yourself a policy expert but you're definitely somebody who i think is more plugged into the way that things work in the state of minnesota than the than the average person you had some friends you could call and get information that I think other victims probably couldn't and how that play, how that creates kind of um, an uneven playing field, not in a negative way toward you, but you shouldn't have to know somebody to be able to get justice through the system, but it, it absolutely does help. I, I've heard some of the things that, you know, someone like Michael, who's very familiar with some of these, these ins and out of court cases and those types of things can be helpful. Um, but if you were, you know, your, your average suburban mom and, um, you, you might not have those same connections and same opportunities. You know, we've had people reach out to us that, um, 
you know, uh, an old colleague of mine that I used to work with in, in the U.S. Senate, he, his wife got carjacked and she never took action. She just was so scared after she got carjacked, um, you know, taking me for speaking out. And, you know, so there's, you know, we are fortunate and blessed to have such great friends, but there's also, you know, I mean, not like a Jeff, I mean, I, I was, I was angry and, and, you know, working in politics, working in different government agencies or a government office and, and doing advocacy campaigns, you, you tend to just kind of know how to, when forced to know how to press the right button, you know, and make the right phone call. So I think, did we have an advantage in that? Absolutely. Um, my wife has a similar background, but you know, we're it's no secret we're a bipartisan marriage, um, and so she had great friends too, and and the outpouring of support and saying, you know, I think the difference was people are asked us what can we do to help, and we knew what you could do to help right away. You know, so for example, right away Michael offered. I'm like, I knew what his skill set was. I knew how good he was at that, and I just I didn't even think about it. I mean, I just said yes. I'll, Let's do it. Um, you know, a bunch of my friends from St. Paul called and said, what can we do? I said, call the county attorney's office and say, well, why were these kids out to, to begin with? And so, you know, John John received a lot of phone calls. And then, um, so just like immediately those things, re were, right. it's just reaction mode. And, um, um, you know, again, I was, I was mad and wanted to do something because as you learn about this, like my opinion was, for for us, not doing anything wasn't acceptable, and then also for the elected officials, I was not going to let them um, not address this in, in a way that was meaningful to Kelly and I. I think what's unique about all of us at the table is that we have real worth, real life experience, and an understanding of the system. At different levels, we all have an understanding of the system. But if you think for a second about the average person who has to go through the criminal justice system and navigate that, I mean, imagine if you didn't have people to rely on when i've had circumstances where i've had to rely on people imagine not having that and it, it's just simply overwhelming and i can't imagine what it would be like for an average citizen an average person who you know goes to work every day doesn't have you know votes you know doesn't have that kind of understanding of how local government works federal government state government and and gets thrown into the criminal justice system on either side of it, but particularly from the perspective of a victim's family, I mean, this is why it can people people sometimes take the law in their own hands when they're part of the criminal justice system. They still feel so frustrated, and I think what's so remarkable about how you approach this with your family is is the steps that you took. Um, and real quick, before I get into that, I did want to just say, you know, in in 2021, unfortunately, you were you know not alone in this. There were. Um, almost 15,000 vehicles stolen and almost 800 of those were carjackings. Um, so, you know, 778 other individuals were carjacked and very likely do not, did not have, you know, the means or, or the ability or, or know wherewithal of how to do this. And so um, one thing we talked about, and I think if we're ready to go into it, I, I think it's really impressive. Um, you know, we were all here and, and you know, heard the anger, um, the frustration that that you went through, that your wife went through um, on the front end, and and you were able to take that anger and turn it into action. And I think that's really um, something that you should be applauded for. I think it's really impressive that you were able to get to a place of wanting to do something different and make a change that hopefully um, allows the system to to be better in the future for for other families, um, for for other victims, for other 
youth that um, hopefully can can be straightened out a little bit. And, and can you walk us through kind of how how you internally got there? I don't think it was probably a, a quick just walk down the hallway. So when we start digging into like some of the, <clears throat> the root problems here, and you know, I think it was 2020, 2019 where um, Totem Town and the Hennepin County Learning Centers were shut down. And, you know, the county officials would say, like, we don't have a place to put these kids anymore that are committing these crimes because Totem Town and the Hennepin County Learning Centers were shut down. And, you know, I quickly learned, like, that, I mean, from my perspective, definitely um, some of an organized effort. And then the goal was to try and have a, a merge facility in Richfield. And then there was a local public meeting and then protesters showed up saying, we don't want this, you know, don't want to massacre our kids. And, and so then it was never opened. And so you have a void of Totem Town, Hennepin County Learning Center shut down and then no place to, you know, really treat these kids. And so I quickly learned that that was a really, really, uh, everyone was so like concrete in their position of reopen or we're never going to reopen. And, and so Real quick, and with that void, what was the alternative? Were were people yep. just going into prison? They were sent down to Red Wing or St. Cloud, or they were were, were released? So a lot of times it was um, put an ankle bracelet on them and go home, you know, which wasn't really in fact uh, impactful, or you know, send them down to Red Wing or Moorhead. So there was really no in between in community where these kids got the proper proper service and and discipline, or you know frankly, in my opinion, consequences that they needed for for these crimes. And so I quickly learned that if we went down the pathway of trying to reopen one of those two facilities, you know, folks work hard to kind of close it. Folks work hard to keep it open. And 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 so that that surfaced right away. What the solution was, I didn't know at the time, but I knew that that was like, and that was a flashpoint of like, you weren't going to get anything done. And I would say, so early on, um, you know, Sheriff Fletcher was very, very great. You know, you got to catch the kids first before you can really learn about the problem. And, you know, they did a great job catching um, these juveniles that had repeat uh, records. And, and so I remember telling Bob, I said, you know, I was so mad. I'm like, I want to like hold a system accountable that failed my family. And, and he's like, you know, you know, Bob and I have a good relationship. And he said, good luck with that. Let me know how it goes. And I'm here for you. And then a week later, after having some meetings with some local officials about the problem, he called me back and said, "Hey, we have you're 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 getting people's attention. Let's work together." And and then he and so Bob and John Choi sat down and had dinner and said, "Let's find a way to tackle this carjacking issue." And and that really kind of set the tone where it, you know two individuals that have difference of opinions on a lot of things just kind of put differences aside and start to work together. Uh, and then the other uh, elected official that really stepped up, and they all did. Just the first three at the top of my head are uh, Senator Murphy, who's a neighbor, came down, and, and we had some challenging conversations about uh, the public safety issue in general. And then um, she was just remarkable. After one conversation, she came down and um, brought some homemade food and said, I'm your neighbor, I'm your senator, I need to be helpful, what can I do? And to her credit, she started having a lot of conversations with local officials in St. Paul and said, we've got a real problem here. It's happened to my neighbor. Um, and and so she took that step, not knowing what the solution was going to be. And then John Choi in Ramsey County came up with the solution of, why don't we try and create some smaller treatment centers for for 
these kids and juveniles that are committing some of these crimes, so they have an alternative option of not just an ankle bracelet where clearly that wasn't working, or sending them to a more, you know, bricks and mortar structured facility like Red Wing or Moorhead. And and so they created this concept of, you know, smaller resident residential type facilities, if you will, that provide them the treatment that they need, whether it's mental health, uh, addiction treatment, you know, um, you know, a lot of family dysfunction. Um, and and so that was a concept. We started working on that in, in the session of 22. Uh, we were kind of run up against deadline. Uh, so the Ramsey County was a sponsor. I was there uh, being a voice to support this. In addition to Ramsey County, we had the Minnesota Business Partnership um, support this effort as well. Charlie Weaver stepped up. And so commanding on the Capitol with Ramsey County and, and you know, the Minnesota Business Partnership saying we support this. And, and that really got the ball rolling. Um, Senator Murphy was a lead author in the in the Senate. Um, Representative Her, who is my representative in St. Paul, she took leadership and said she learned about it. And that's where Aaron was helpful in like sharing with her colleagues and reached out to our former colleague, uh, Becky Representative O'Neill, uh, who some of these juvenile issues are really near and dear to heart, and she was very helpful in leading this in the House side. And then on the, uh, back to the Senate, we had uh, Sandy Pappas, uh, uh, Claire um, Verbaten, um, and then Republicans, we had Julia Coleman and Karen Housley. So we really had kind of a good bipartisan track, and that was in 22 when Republicans controlled the Senate. Um, you know, we thought that even though we were late to the game, that we would still have a good shot during that session. We met with Doubt and Hortman, and they were really, they looked at John Choi, and they looked at um, Bob Fletcher and said, let me understand, you two both are supportive <laughs> of this? And and they were, and Kelly was in that meeting with us and thought that that was a very, um, like, we, we, we really had, we struck something that was that common ground of there's a big problem out there. These kids are out of control with this carjackings. How do we find common ground? And this was like a starting point. And um, I'm I was optimistic that we probably would have been in one of the bills at the end of the session. Uh, but as you know, like the legislative session just broke down between the governor and the and the legislature. So moving forward, we refined the bill, or we just kept on um, building momentum for the following session. What What do you think? And maybe this isn't a question of Patrick, but to you, what do you think worked so well for Patrick to get that coalition to come together? Because it seems that he has come up with, unfortunately, and I'll say it unfortunately, the playbook that a family can follow in this. And, and Jeff, your thoughts to that? So I don't want to be the contrarian, but I will be anyway. I don't know that it did work. I, I think that's how the system works um, and that that's what you have to do. Uh, but to say that the system actually works is com is completely inaccurate. So you acknowledged, I mean, there's a, obviously the fact that his family was victimized, went through this, there's already a failing in the system is what you're saying. But but the fact that it takes someone, it takes a victim a really good point. who happens to know the right thing and has the wherewithal to go through all of the bullshit hoops that happened to make this go forward and still had trouble getting it through. We still couldn't get it through in that session, even though we had agreement from these opposite sides and all these things, and we had bipartisan support, and we still can't get the legislature to do common sense, correct 
things. I am as low as as possibly can be on the Minnesota legislature right now. Um, Patrick's had some time to be angry and then turn that into action. I'm I'm in the anger phase. I mean, there's a couple of other cases going on currently that are extremely problematic and a little bit more personally connected or personally impactful to me. Um, that that it. Uh, Everyone should be fired, and and th- they're all useless at this point. I mean, so so while I well, don't get me wrong, I I am glad that you were able to Patrick that you were able to go through that process and get something tangible for, through it. Why does it have to be that hard? Why does it have to be so difficult to do the right thing? Why does it have to be hard when you have universal agreement that something's important? We still can't get it done because of the machinations of a completely dysfunctional legislature. Patrick, what's your thought on that? Yeah, my thought is that, you know, coming from a place of advocacy as a professional, you know, I think that, um, I, I, I don't know if this is, it's not a fair comparison when you're working on a criminal justice issue that is pretty raw and new. And then when the system, I agree, the system failed, our family, those kids should have never been there, right? Um, but, we were reminded, and I say we, Michael helped me go to a couple of the, the hearings. So so there's one side advocacy and the other side we're seeking justice. And so we're going through the hearings and that was just as frustrating. That was really frustrating and challenging. And we were reminded a number of times that it's the criminal justice system, not the victim's justice system. So like, I don't want to mix advocacy and like the process of seeking justice too much, but those are two separate tracks. And I can tell you that seeking justice was really hard and frustrating, right? Seeking advocacy, like we had a bill and like, so that happened in December, January, February. We had a bill up at the end of February. We got um, we got it written, we got the authors in March, you know, and then, um, you know, it, it didn't, the legislature just broke down on public safety. They didn't pass anything. So like, I just want to be really clear, like we made progress in there, but if you want to really be frustrated, Try seeking justice. So I want to be right. mad. personally. Right. I want to be mad at everybody at this point because that's where that's where I am. But I. But I guess my my bigger point is, you you had the ability to connect to important people and get them to listen. I think most people don't get that opportunity. I think most people don't know where to start, and so while it's not good that this happened to you, right? But had it not happened to you and your family, then this change would never have happened. And, but what a crappy system that is, that you have to wait until the you get the right victim with the right connections in order to get somebody to pay attention. Becky, do you, you to that point or do another point? Well, I, a little bit to that point. I, I do want to say, you know, yes, I think there are the two tracks of anger and, and you know, of, of the justice and the court system and the legislative session or system. Um, and, and unfortunately, the politics of politics is really dirty and messy and, and frustrating at times. I think we've seen it in a lot of different facets of, of things at the state level and in, in Washington. I think that um, because I'm, you know, maybe trying to be the eternal optimist in the room, I think it is impressive, um, especially being a bipartisan coalition, especially being, um, you know, the group of folks on both sides of the aisle, you and your wife on both sides of the aisle, um, that this did get passed this session when so much of it was 
about the the splash, about the fireworks, about the what is, you know, the sexiest thing we can get past between paid family leave and legalizing marijuana and driver's license and lunches for all. And I mean, the list goes on and on that we've talked about for something of this sort to be a little bit, you know, smaller and incremental, but still substantial. I think that is impressive that it did get past this session when so much else could have pushed it to the wayside. Yeah, I think um, early on in the conversations, it was clear whatever level of government you're talking to, whether it was city, county, state, um, federal, in some cases, everyone was kind of like doing this, like, not my problem, we're arresting them, we're trying to prosecute them, there's no place to put them, um, you know, and, you know, like clearly there's like all this finger pointing at different directions going on. And I, and my position was, all right, everyone, you got to roll up your sleeves here. We got a real crisis on our hands here. And so, yeah, very blessed that, you know, my wife and I have had a history of uh, playing in these spaces. Um, but, um, you know, from whether or not I didn't have that p- p- place or not, I would, I was so pissed that I was still done something. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say, um, but we held on to the coalition, but I think that, you know, maybe the system needed it to be us. Right. And, 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 um, and, and, and people were willing to work together. Once you just kind of like, just chop down some, bound, chop down some boundaries for a little bit here and, and just continue to like, say, Hey, like Bob and John really set the tone. Like we got to do something. John utilized his position. There's an intercon intergovernmental position in in the city and the County and the judges and saying, we have to do something. We're going to do this. Um, and so, yeah, it, again, I I didn't wake up on December 28th to be the face of carjacking.com, mm-hmm. right? I did not do that. But I feel obligated that, you know, we, we have been blessed to have these great opportunities in front of us to be part of of some amazing advocacy campaigns, some government campaigns. And I would have felt shitty if I didn't do anything about it, right? And so I felt that was my, my role to play. Um, number one, protect my wife and my kids and try to make sure this – shit doesn't happen to, you know, as much as I can, as, as much as it has been. And, and so we were very, very careful how we shared our voice with the help of my, my business partners and Michael. And, you know, my wife really was cautious in how we, we share this. And, um, and so that it's not easy, like sharing this experience, mm-hmm. especially, right. you know, so there's all that going on and, um, you know, moving into this session, we held our coalition strong. Uh, one great addition to the county was Commissioner Rena Moran. Um, you know, she's a, a strong leader in the in the black community. And, you know, she was just awesome at the Capitol, former state rep, saying, you know, we're going to do this. I have mothers in community saying we have to do this. Um, so she was an addition to the coalition that really brought it all together, the session, and and, and drove it home. So you know, I could tell you a number of stories about how things just kind of aligned for us. Um, some help within the governor's office was great. A friend of Kelly's worked uh, in the governor's office was very helpful. So just the stars aligned for us and, you know, felt that as things continued to progress that we needed to do something. So I want to be, I want to be clear about something. I, I'm not in any way taking away from what you were able to accomplish. Right? I mean, it was it was certainly a monumental task. My, my broader point is it shouldn't have to be a monumental task to get people to do the right thing. And it's a, it's a, 
indication of how broken we are that that it, you, it it's it's so hard to get people to do common sense things. I've long said that public safety legislation is always in response to tragedy. If you look at where our state tries to do it, a number of different policy initiatives, particularly on tax policy, you want to you want to attract new businesses, you want to be on the on the vanguard and, and promote and, and really try to come up with things. States are supposed to be the laboratories of democracy to come up with policy ideas and initiatives, but particularly when it comes to public safety. I've always felt that public safety legislation arises from tragedy, and that's so unfortunate that we can't think ahead. And because I think of all the policy subjects, it is it is so polarizing. It is so difficult to deal with. Um, and, and Jeff, to, to be clear with you, I think you're right, and I think Becky's right, and I think I think Patrick, I think you're all right. Um, the reality is that it shouldn't be as, as difficult. I mean, I will just say that to you, Patrick. I mean. You know, how many carjackings, I think Becky cited, what was the number again? 779 in 2021 alone. And and the truth of the matter is 707, 779. So 778 other people were carjacked. But the reason a policy initiative changed is because one particular carjacking was at a property where the person who was unfortunately carjacked was your wife with your kids in the back. And that experience goes to Jeff's point, which is, it shouldn't take 700, close to 800 carjackings for there to be a policy change. It shouldn't, unfortunately, take the carjackers coming to your your alley and to your into your front door in order to get this policy change because the statistics are there. And I think I think probably I mean if you wanna if you wanna depersonalize it a little bit, I, I think what Patrick said earlier about everybody kind of pointing the finger in each direction. I think the lack of a clear owner on something like this is what contributes to that a lot. And so then in, in, in the absence and the vacuum, then you have the situation where the victim becomes kind of the rallying point and the person who, who owns the issue and coordinates amongst many levels of government who just aren't doing their job to coordinate amongst themselves like they should be. There's obviously the, the, the criminals that were involved uh, in, this, in this crime against your family. This happened outside your home. Describe, explain to us sometimes, explain to our listeners the decision tree you have to make in wanting to speak out on this, but while simultaneously being protective of your family, balancing those issues, but also wanting to promote legislation at the state capitol. I mean, you really navigated a number of minefields in response to this. You had to be a dad and a husband. You also took on the additional responsibility of wanting there to be a policy initiative on this. I mean, how did you navigate that so well? Well, I mean, with great friends and family. Okay, now that's, <laughs> yeah. we're gonna so, well, that's gonna stop. Okay, we're gonna put right. this we're gonna put this back on you. But you really navigate it. Describe to our listeners how you woke up each day and dealt with that. Not about anybody else, but about how you did that. You know, I think it was. I mean, it was how do we get out of the house safely every day and get the kids back in a routine and get my wife back in a routine and get in the school together. Um, picking them up together often, um, and just making sure that we felt safe and felt like we we're just getting back to a routine. So just when you wake up and you, and the number one priority is making sure that your kids are safe, then everything else kind of falls into place, frankly. Yes. I mean, that, and, but the truth though, Patrick, is that you may have had a support team, but everyone was taking their direction from you. I mean, this was, you were making decisions. You were figuring out how to balance advocacy, policy reform, and still be a husband and still be a dad. And at any point, 
you could have said, I'm not going to pursue this stuff anymore. And you didn't. And that's what's so remarkable about what you did, what you did, not what anybody else did, but what you did. And I agree. And I think, you know, you said a little bit earlier that this was a little ended up being therapeutic for you. Can you speak a little bit to maybe how that helped you process a little bit of that anger to to being productive through this? Yeah, going through the steps of um, building a coalition advocacy and, and like all those basic steps where like, you know, you go through a phase of pounding your fist on the table, we got to do something, this shouldn't have ever happened. Then you go through a phase of, okay, we might have a solution. You got to line up voices. And then Again, the two prior, the main priority was how do you make sure your kids and your wife are safe? Number one, number two, when you're out there advocating on the behalf of your family, it's different than a client or a, or a candidate, you know. So, as you know, I definitely swore a lot throughout this <laughs> process, um, but I wanted to make sure that I was doing something that my wife and children would be proud of me. Um, describe two experiences that were unique. You went to. Aside from this entire experience, but two things I want to touch on because I observed some of these from a distance, but also went with you. Talk about what it was like to go to court. So let's start there. Well, not and what I what I mean by that is the experience of you, and I shouldn't describe it so generically as going to court. You took it upon yourself to go to multiple hearings involving the criminals that were charged related to this crime. You also took an active role in the courtroom speaking up. Talk about that to the degree which you feel comfortable. So with the, both the, the juvenile system and the adult system, you know, quickly, it, it's complicated. I mean, it's complex. And thankfully, you have a good, we had a really good victims advocates right director in, in Hennepin County. And again, it gets complicated because where the crime was, where they live, and who's hearing the case. I still don't quite figure that out. <laughs> but but Michael helped me kind of navigate some of that um, and definitely want to provide a victim's in, impact statement and um, the one, um, suspect that ended up pleading guilty, the judge gave him two weeks to go home, uh, to get his affairs in order. And, um, that morning, Michael and I were, Michael was going to take me to court and kind of walk me through the process. And I had a statement ready to go. And we learned from the sheriff's office that, you know, the young man fled and didn't show up for his, his hearing. And, and um, to that point, you had some of the people that you had talked to prior to that had said this was likely going to happen. Yeah, that he was not, he was going to flee. And and then what other frustrating part was that he had an ankle bracelet on that didn't have a GPS system. And we should talk about that because one of the things you've been focused on so much in this in this process has been policy changes. We, we were at the courthouse and we, and we learned that Hennepin County, um, when they send people home on home monitoring, um, there are some, a lot of the Jeep, a lot of the home monitoring bracelets do not have a GPS unit in them. And so the, how the bracelet works is that it sends a signal in proximity to the sensor or the or the, the base that's inside the house. But if the person flees, there's no way through GPS monitoring to monitor their location in real time. Now, what we learned in the lobby is that other counties in the state have that, is that other counties in the state have GPS monitoring included in the home monitoring. So if someone were to flee, and run from the and and separate themselves too far from the ankle bracelet from the monitor from the base station they can still be tracked from a gps perspective but you also had to then endure the concern with someone who was about to be go away to jail was going to be sent to jail racing around the twin cities and not knowing 
what was going to happen. Can I just ask a question about this? So you're telling me that those are kind of just glorified little bells that say, hey, they're on the loose, but you, you know, it's it's a where's Waldo of of where to find them. Yes. It is it so there's if you want so in the in the biggest county in our state that that I mean I don't have the stats in front of me but likely where most of these crimes uh, the percentage of most of these crimes occur it is I, I mean if they don't show up to, to court isn't that telling you enough why are we paying for these GPS or these monitors to just give you like a two day heads up that they they fleed correct and I think it goes to Jeff's point is that this is. I mean, Patrick is learning these experiences, and I learned that life experience just by being at the courthouse with with Patrick. But there are administrators, there are people who are elected who are paid to understand these problems. And it's amazing to think how the criminal justice system, even within that type of small thing, it's just would just frustrate me. The and, class can't be that much more to to have GPS ones. Believe me, as I think probably the only Hennepin County taxpayer in this room. Uh, my blood's boiling. I, I mean, the, for the amount of money that we pay. I, Wild. I, and here's- it, it's, it's incompetence and there's no other reason. There's and, nothing else. And what I want to get back to is you also gave a victim impact statement. Yeah, and, and that was- More than one. That was really, that was the most unique experience going to the court, um, looking at the defense attorney, like they were shocked to see, see like someone show up. Um, that doesn't happen too often. Um, the sheriff's office sent a deputy there, um, when they knew that they weren't going to be there. Um, and then provided an impact statement where you know, I shared with the judge how, um, you know, my wife had forgot to put gas in the car and it was still pretty cold out. And I said, you know, honey, you know, just being like a, snarky husband i just said honey you can't let the car get so low on gas uh when it's cold out and 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 um she's like she started crying said you know i'm afraid to get gas and i told the judge i felt like a jerk and i didn't read the situation and then the judge and michael <laughs> he said this doesn't happen very often the judge said no i'm sorry i'm the jerk for for letting him go we will find him and wow. having the judge apologize i think was Unique. I mean, Michael. You know, it was very unique, and I've never seen anything quite like it. And, and then, um, and then sitting down, and one of the deputies was there from the Ramsey County Sheriff's Office, and just said, "Thank you for showing up. This means a lot to us. We'll find them for you." And um, you know, chills kind of went through my back when he said that. And then they caught him, and then um, you know, we went back for the sentencing, and um, you know, having here the uh, suspect. Um, read an apology letter was was weirdly it was just weird because the room is like a damp old college classroom right and it's empty and it's just kind of like just kind of odd and so that it, and then then there's some technical things in the sentencing that was kind of weird and um you know stood, standing in front of a judge twice is kind of something i really don't want to do again um but um i thought that was really um very uncomfortable, but very powerful at the end. And um, yeah, and then some other things I'd rather not say on air about about that experience. But um, it was, you know, I wouldn't have gotten through without Michael being there. Well, you have a, you work through a policy initiative 
And then what's going to be occurring next week related to that? Yeah. So my wife and I were, were so blessed with the people that showed up to help us. And we, we want to just have a little thank you reception and, and, um, um, you know, we hope that we can get a good amount of people to show up that were really impactful along the way. And, um, so we're going to host a little reception next week here and, um, you know, and I just want to say thank you. And, and uh, the main point we want to get across to your point, Jeff, like how frustrating it is, is in order to tackle these big issues, we have to work together. We have to take accountability at all levels of government when there's a big problem like this, and we have to come together. And it's okay to work with someone that you don't agree with all the time. It's okay that Bob and John work together. It's okay that Bob and Rena work together, Aaron and, and Karen. You know, and I use their first names because we've gotten to know them so well on this uh, project. And so once you kind of eliminate the partisan divide, and I know it says it, it, it's such an easy thing to say, like get rid of the partisan divide, work together, get things done. But it's harder said than done, and we just want to make sure that people leave this event that helped us along the way, friends, neighbors, and, and local officials. Again, just some light refreshments and 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 just to get together and say thank you, like and and learn from what what happened here. From a policy standpoint, what is now going to be different if there's a carjacking in the Twin Cities or in the state of Minnesota because of the initiative that you worked on in response to your families? the tragedy that went to your family. How are we different as a state today? So today um, the, the county needs to accept the money formally from the state and then they go into their implementation phase to find uh, the right locations in the facilities to um, adopt these juvenile um, treatment centers, the intense treatment centers. And then, um, it, you know, again, I'm not the implementer here but it they're gonna once they start when they receive the money they'll start the the homework on finding and recruiting places and and then hiring out the services so i i don't think it's gonna change anything today i actually i do think it's already changed things that people the county's taking a step to bring community together to say hey we have to address the issue but i think it's probably and i don't maybe a year or so away to really get these things going is what John had said, Troy had said in some interviews. One other subject I wanted to ask you before about not only just testifying in, or speaking in court and going there and giving witness statements and victim impact statements, you also, also testified at the legislature. If you're a, and you have experience in government at all levels, but if you, what would you say to a victim's family or a victim themselves? How, what steps can they take to make their advocacy at the state capitol and getting some policy things changed, what what would you encourage them to do in order to feel comfortable going to legislature and advocating for reforms needed, particularly when it comes to criminal justice or other issues? Because it's a daunting task. I mean, I almost just for, almost forgot about the testifying at the legislature because it's um, um, we're focusing on the, 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 some other things. But I would say that um, – it's very important, right? And it, the the thing that really made the difference for us was that you know, that you had our Kelly and Maggie story and 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 in my story, and we were able to do the hard conversations before we got to the Capitol. We um, we had conversations in the community with Rita Moran. We had conversations with like how do you implement the this? You had deep conversations with the county board the county attorney's office and the county sheriff's office. So we had those lined up and we all had those hard conversations. So having those on the front end was really key. And then when with the feedback we got back from the Capitol was 
it was pretty hard to say no to you guys because you had the attorney, the sheriff, and the board on board. And obviously, we had bipartisan authors, and we knew that the Walls administration was watching, um, watching this closely. I, I just wanted to uh, make one comment that tied it back to our conversation with Colleen, who um, she had reached out to uh, to legislators um, this last session about the clean slate bill uh, that she was frustrated with and, and wanted to not pass and, and was was trying to share her story with them um, because she thought it was going to be um, detrimental to future situations like her family went through. Um, and she didn't even get a response to the emails that she sent. And it, 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 I think it was a frustrating, it goes back to your frustration with the system. Um, and, you know, I think hopefully we we do, our legislators do step up and, and open their ears or eyes or whatever to read the stories, to hear the stories, and, and to talk to victims um, of these situations on both sides of, you know, whether it's to pass a piece of legislation or to that are opposed to a piece of legislation, because um, it is you guys who are impacted the most. And I, I know that was frustrating for for Colleen and her family. Um, so thankfully, hopefully, you know, in this situation, you know, maybe maybe some other victims in the future, you know, doing some of that, the work up front um, in your local communities seems to be something that was helpful in your situation, finding um, city council, county commissioners, um, and, and hopefully that that can be helpful for folks in the future. Well, thanks for having me on your show, guys. You guys have been great. And uh, uh, I'm getting hungry. So I wonder if we can transition to the oh, end of the show. Look at that. Let's do it. Wow, he fun. did that pretty smooth. Yes. <laughs> he did that pretty smooth. New permanent co-host. New in. permanent ah, co-host. impressive. So um, uh, this is called, Patrick, this is called the food fight with Broadcore Rebecca. And it, I know you listen to the show, but what we do is we go through um, various uh, we go through a subject matter and we go around the table we have some disagreements about that stuff so this is our first time doing it with four people um, I, I ex my expectation with that there being four people here that at least three of you are going to disappoint me with your picks um, you we've, get... been, we've been a little too nice lately so I'm ready so, to get um, let's, saucy let's start this um, now, see what first... you did there thanks Saucy there. Now, first of all, do we all understand what a condiment is? It's a sauce or an ingredient. Oh, boy. I'm working on this. is going to be interesting. Okay. okay. All right. I, I don't think we can agree. I think we already have established that there's a disagreement on the term of what a condiment is. But let's just go around the horn and we'll go. We'll go. We'll start with Jeff. All right. My number one is the number one condiment in the world. Heinz ketchup. Okay. I like that. Patrick. My number one is Heinz ketchup and mayo mixed like they do at the pillbox down the street. Nice. Nice. My number one is Heinz ketchup. Oh, you guys, Heinz didn't even make my top five. Gross. I, I mean, I it's am fine. not surprised. It's fine. My number one is barbecue sauce. And in particular, oh, McDonald's barbecue sauce. Yeah, that's number one. That's good stuff. Yeah. yeah actually, I can't argue. All right. Okay. Jeff. McDonald's sweet and sour sauce. Huh. Interesting. Patrick. Just grape upon Dijon mustard. Uh, mine is uh, Plattsman's uh, mild yellow mustard. Mine is spicy mustard. Okay. Jeff, you're number three. Um, whatever that sauce is that Raisin Cane's get to. Cane sauce. <laughs> cane sauce. Right. Cane sauce. That's the good stuff. Patrick. Uh, some good Cholula. 
I'm sorry. What is that? It's just it's a hot it's like sauce. A, it's a hot sauce. sauce, but it's a mild hot sauce. It's the one with the little wood. Yeah, it's got a little wood cap. I don't know what that is. Oh, God. you should uh, leave your house. Once mine a while. is Inglehoffer's original ground ground stone ground mustard. Oh, so we're getting yeah. okay. Yep. Wow, I, I love the specificity. I'm also on a hot sauce. Mine's sriracha number three. Sriracha. Figures. You knew I, it. Yeah, yeah, I knew that. Yes, Jeff. It's good on eggs. It's good on pasta. It's good on everything. Freddy's fry sauce. Wow. Which is kind of a mayo ketchup kind of thing. Yeah, it's good work. Patrick. Heinz 57. And not and, and I get on a kick sometimes where I'll just go to the store and buy a bottle and I'll use it on everything. My wife thinks I'm nuts. You okay. Bar, I kind of agree. That's like what? I, like I'll put it on, a, I'll use it on a hamburger, eggs, even on like chicken. Eh? Oh, it's delicious on eggs. Here's and then, my thing with 57 sauce. I've always wanted to like it more than I do. It's delicious. I've I do think it's delicious. The, I think it's... Not I, I try it and then I'm like, eh, that's okay. oh, it's fantastic. I'm gonna go with uh, Golden's uh, spicy brown mustard. Can you just stop with the mustard? I, I'm it sorry. is delicious. It's yeah. not. What about you? Well, I limited myself to one mustard. Um, my my number four is uh, the basic lady that I am. Ranch. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Goodness gracious. This is, uh, I nailed, I nailed this, in, I nailed the production. Yes. I, it, I will say in prep, Michael goes, you're probably going to do something per- totally predictable like ranch and sriracha as your top two. <laughs> yep. No, I will say they're both on my list. They're not the top two, but. Yep. Yeah. Oh, you, you called it. Uh, are we on number five? Five. Taco Bell hot sauce. You know, it's it didn't good. have to be fast food sauces, right? It doesn't. Okay. Doesn't they're matter. just the best. I'm going to throw you guys a curveball and call an audible here. I said ingredient, right? So one of my favorite ingredients in a blizzard is Heath candy bars. And so I brought up blizzard because Donald Trump doesn't know what a blizzard is. And I thought, what a disgrace to the political process for anyone in the Midwest that's worked on a campaign in Iowa and Minnesota that he did not know what a blizzard was at Dairy Queen, home of hot eats and cool treats. So now my number five is Heath candy bars. In a blizzard, Donald Trump, get your stuff together. Know what a blizzard is. When you get on the campaign trail, utter fail on campaign staff work. Wow. Utter fail on the list of condiments. That's Dairy con- Queen was two not, weeks ago. Guy who doesn't know what a condiment is. Guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lecture I thought he was going to get like a, a give us like marinara sauce or yes. something like Oprah, uh, you know. But wow, you really went rogue. I'm going to go uh, Inglehoffer's uh, cream style oh, horseradish. Crying out loud. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. My number five is a garlic aioli. Mm. Oh my goodness yeah. gracious. Well, Patrick. Michael, um, that's the worst list I've ever heard. We're going to talk more about it. We know Patrick's got to go, but we're going to continue this conversation. Patrick, we want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story and then tr- making the transition from a very serious subject to the food fight much easier yeah. than, it's, than it's been in the past. It's <laughs> difficult to do. And I think the ingredient is to uh, have the guest help uh, yeah. do that transition. Yeah, us in. Nice I like part. That. Well, thank you guys for. Oh, everything you've done the last year and a half. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Patrick, so much. We look forward to talking with you again. Thank you. That was a really interesting conversation with Patrick. Um, And there's a lot more that we could have discussed with him. He was very deferential, more than he should have been. And let's talk about that for a second. I think anybody who can put themselves, I mean, a horrific thing happened to his wife, his daughter, his family. And to have to relive that um, by going to court, by going to testif- testify at the state capitol in all of these conversations and meetings could not have been easy. 
Um, and, and like you said, you know, he, he, you know, threw a lot of around a lot of his his gratitude, which which is great. There was definitely a coalition here. Um, but we do. I mean, Patrick did a lot. His wife did a lot to to get this passed. And um, very, very needs to be appreciated. And, and uh, yeah, it, just, it needs to be said. It, it's it really piggybacks on what Jeff said is that it shouldn't take someone like Patrick, but there, unfortunately um, it, it did in this situation. And there's something unique about what Patrick did and what his wife did and the coalition that he built. And I've uh, written a book about the criminal justice system, a true crime book, been a part of it myself on both sides and can understand the dynamics. A lot of families go through the criminal justice system and they don't come out stronger. And when a crime like this can happen, it can really impact the family. And uh, Patrick and his wife have done something which is just nothing short of remarkable. And uh, in terms of how they've worked in in a partnership, got people properly motivated, the coalition that they built, the friends that they had, and reaching out to the various elected officials, the system in this particular instance, as Jeff correctly described, shouldn't have to work this way. But in fairness to Patrick, and I think what we're trying to discuss here today, this would be an example of, I think, where it did, in essence, work in terms of there was a solution. It would have been good if someone like other types of policies could have been forward thinking and realizing that there was a problem in Minnesota, as there are in other parts of the country related to these types of issues, and we could have gotten ahead of it. So Patrick's family didn't have to experience the brutality of what they experienced. But what he did was remarkable. What his wife did was a remarkable in response to this, the coalition that they built. We've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about the things that didn't go right this legislative session from the perspective of Republicans. And in this particular instance, I think Patrick was able to navigate that and stay hyper-focused on the reforms that needed to be done. But to Jeff's point, his point is incredibly well taken. And unfortunately, Jeff, um, I wanted to pivot a little bit and talk about your Twitter feed, a case that you've been following, and which is, uh, unfortunately for this family, they've just entered the criminal justice process. And I want to give you an opportunity to talk. Yeah. So there, there's two cases I want to talk about real quick. One is while we're on carjacking, there was an 80-year-old woman carjacked uh, in her driveway in Golden Valley, which is the suburb that neighbors mine uh, a couple weeks ago. Five juveniles um, assaulted her, broke her arm, um, took her car. So carjacking is very much alive and well in the Twin Cities. The other thing, uh, more akin to Colleen's, Colleen Kelly's situation, uh, there was a, a crash in basically my neighborhood. Um, if you've I'll assume that neither of you or most listeners have never been on 36th Avenue going through Robbinsdale, but it's a fairly standard kind of um, city type street, 30 mile an hour zone, two lanes on one way. And then you've got, you know, 90 degree intersections uh, that are residential streets. Um, a car that was apparently not stolen exactly. The details are still a little bit weird on this that was apparently rented by someone through a service called Turo, which is kind of like a Airbnb type service for Correct. renting cars. So it was rented by somebody, but then driven by somebody else. So it wasn't exactly stolen, but it certainly wasn't his car. Um, 
uh, was driving around, was going, was speeding. Uh, a Robinsdale police officer noticed and pulled up behind them, turned on the lights. The car uh, started to flee. Robinsdale did not pursue. They ended up um, crashing into um, a uh, just a couple uh, that lives in the area. That was um, a 35-year-old woman uh, and her husband. Uh, the woman died at the scene. Uh, she was pregnant. Um, oh. The man, the as of the last update that I have, the husband um, is alive, but in the hospital. He's been in and out of a medical coma um, for various things. I mean, obviously, this is a we record a little bit early and we release a, a few days after that, so it's a kind of a fast moving situation. But these were two people who were um, just driving down the street, young parents, um, just driving, not doing anything else, not doing anything wrong, and we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And um, I guarantee more will come out about the driver of the car. They found all sorts of interesting things in the car that indicate that um, they're the kind of things that generally people who are on the up and up don't have in their car. And so I'm sure more will come out about that. I'm sure this individual is likely known to the criminal justice system. Um, but you have two kids, um, two very young kids uh, without a mother at a minimum, uh, whether their father ultimately pulls through or not, I, I, you know, what remains to be seen. He certainly won't be the same when he comes out the other side as somebody who's lived through a major crash. And then, you know, obviously he lost his wife and um, it's, it's an awful, awful situation. But as again, as Colleen Kelly um, pointed out, the, it's a common situation. It happens all the time. She put out a Twitter thread a few weeks ago where it was just off the top of her head. Here's the cases I know of where people were either um, seriously injured or killed by reckless drivers. And the people got basically a slap on the wrist as, as a result of it. And so, um, you know, I, I'm not making, um, it, I'm not pretending anything else. I'm angry. I'm angry. I was angry after hearing Colleen speak than to have it hit so close to home. I mean, my, my son's best friend lives two blocks from where this crash was. That could have been me in the car. It could have been my wife in the car. It could have been my friend's parents or my son's friend's parents in the car. It could have been anybody in that car. And I don't know why we tolerate this as a as a society as a as, a, as in this state. I, I don't know why. I don't know why we just allow this to continue to happen. Maybe it hasn't happened to the right person. Maybe we need to have you know. But you would think. I mean, it, we, we're not the ink's not even dry on the stories about Derek Thompson killing five young women, five young women who are no longer here, who didn't get to have families. Um, it turns out that the woman who was murdered um, was the daughter of somebody I know who works at the city of Crystal. He's, he works in the public works department. Um, not a friend of mine by any stretch. I mean, just somebody I know from, he was a, he was a crystal lion. So I'd see him at all the volunteer events and, and stuff, but somebody who's, you know, known in the community and um, turns out uh, both the, both of the, the driver and the um, passenger, the, parents that were killed were at one point, um, employees of the, of the, they were teachers in their kind of their real job, their, you know, 
normal job was teachers. And then they would work at the, for the parks department doing, you know, park maintenance during the summer is kind of a little something extra to do. So again, well known around the community and just driving down the street and just, um, not here anymore. And five women again, just two or three weeks ago with Derek Thompson. And, um, I just don't see any signs that it's stopping or that it's getting better. Um, I listened to your interview with Colleen Kelly and I thought the manner in which you both conducted the interview was incredibly respectful. I could also tell that both of you were disturbed by the subject material. Um, I could hear it in your voices, um, that it was a tough subject matter to discuss. And there was a bluntness and a rawness to the manner in which Colleen spoke. Um, she's frustrated. She has every right to be. Um, but part of the reason I wanted to continue this conversation was because of Patrick, because of the event he has coming up. Um, and unfortunately, this is a, again, a compliment to Patrick, but there's not a lot of Patrick Connolly out there and he and his wife, Kelly, in the manner in which they handle this, they handle this in, in a way in which they can get together and talk about the event and what they went through and bring a coalition together. And the vast majority of families can't do that. And Jeff, I think you said something that was, was really difficult to hear, but you just said, maybe it hasn't happened to the right family yet. And that really stuck with me because what Kalina tweeted out had said, if you want to commit murder, do it in a vehicle. And what you just said about, I think very accurately said, we're, we tolerate this stuff because it ultimately hasn't happened to the right person yet. Michael, this is how bad it is. Um, I read that same quote. Uh, if you want to commit murder, do it with a car in reference to another case. I can't tell you which case it was, but it was, it was uh, in a courtroom in the last several days in the Twin Cities because that's just how prevalent it is, because that's the mantra, because people, people understand that. And, you know, I, um, I wish all the best for you personally, Michael, but I think you're going to, uh, my fear is that you're going to experience the disappointment of the criminal justice system as it relates to the crash that happened with you. You, you were, a, a human being was hit by a weapon that was happened to be um under the control of someone who was under the age of 18 and you and and I hope you end up getting justice in this case but I have no I have no faith in anyone at this point I have no faith in the system and um I've said several times and I I stand by it and I agree 100% that every single legislator in Minnesota should be ashamed of themselves for chasing this shiny object and not doing the hard work on things that are that really impacts families. Stop stop chasing stupid headlines, stop fighting about stupid things and actually do your job. Now to kind of tie this into what we've talked about for the last, you know, how many episodes is um a messaging angle, which might sound a little trite, but but stick with me for a second. Um, stories need to be told. And this is something that we've talked about for Republicans to be successful. You know, they need to share stories. We need victims to share stories. We need people like Patrick and Colleen to contact their legislators or candidates to share those stories because it is when 
it hits more close to home, when it is somebody you personally know or in your community or a situation where um, it, it, it could have been you or it could have been your child or your friend or, or you know, something of that, that really is when, I mean, we as humans, you know, feel a little bit more, but I think is when legislators, elected officials, um, candidates are able to to do a little bit more. And I think that's something that, you know, if we could ask our listeners to be sure to s- tell stories, but also something that hopefully storytelling of of all sorts of capacities is what makes legislation get passed and is what is going to make a difference in a lot of ways. Um, we need we need storytellers. We need people to step up into that. And, and most importantly, we need people to listen. Jeff, uh, that's a great point, Becky. Jeff brought up the circumstances involving me. I don't want to equate the two in any sense, but as our listeners know, I was off the podcast because I had been hit by a car. Um, there is a lot I more I want to say about the circumstances involving how I was hit, the, uh, the what I had to deal with, what I've dealt with so far. I think we've only touched a little bit on the podcast about some of the physical injuries and some of the other issues that I've had to deal with. But there are a number of substantive issues related to what happened outside my home that I've not gotten into yet. And I'm waiting for some processes to come into place and get have there be some conclusion and some more information before I comment on them. But let me just say that as someone who is, was hit by a car, there is an absolutely casual nature that we have to this, an absolutely casual nature that we have to this. Um, I really want to temper my remarks, but if it wasn't for Jeff, if it wasn't for my friend Jill, if it wasn't for an anonymous Twitter account, uh, getting information out about what happened, um, there could have been, a, there's there's less accountability to the system. Uh, when I think about Jeff saying when Patrick was here that the system didn't work, I will tell you the system did not work for me. Uh, it And the only reason that there has been some accountability is because of the man sitting right over there who contacted me hours after my crash and said things needed to get done, that we needed to use social media and help get it out there, there would be no accountability. And so as as much as Patrick was complimentary towards others, I need to be complimentary towards Jeff. And the reality is that it, and I think if, to put it a little bit on myself, it shouldn't take a Jeff and a Jill, an anonymous Twitter account to help share information about this. That's where the system's broken down. If it doesn't work for you, if it doesn't work for Patrick, it doesn't work for anybody. It clearly is broken. And I think people have been screaming about this for a long time. And again, I think it's way easier to chase sexy headlines and go fight about stupid things and than it does to actually sit down and solve difficult problems. And and I think the ability to solve difficult problems is not something that is in the standard legislator's wheelhouse. I don't think there's a lot of problem solvers out there. I think there's, I'm going to stop myself before you'll hit the bleep button. So um, I I just, we don't have good problem solvers. We don't have visionaries. We don't have people who bring people together. We have trite sound bites. We have stupid press conferences. We, uh, we, we just, Nobody wants to dig in and actually really solve problems. And that's what it's going to take is people to actually sit down and listen to each other and put their differences aside and say, okay, here we go. This is what we need to do. We need to, we need to 
first of all, we need to agree that we have a problem. And then second of all, we need to go solve it. Well, I'm going to, we have to do tweets of the week, but I'm going to real, I'd like to go first this time. I'm going to put you in a very difficult spot. Oh no. I'm going to just, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a couple of seconds to calibrate because I'm, I'm calling an audible right now and this might change your approach. Uh, my tweet of the week is going to be Jeff's because uh -oh. the, the tweet that I want to focus on Jeff is, and this is really unfair of me, but I'm back and you guys got to give me some little bit of latitude. This is really unfair of me. But Jeff, you had a tweet last night about a GoFundMe page related to this family. And I want that to be my tweet of the week. Could you uh, tweet that? Could you share that information about that GoFundMe page? Um, I sure can. Okay. <laughs> Do you want me to read the? Uh, I would you, like you, do you to. Want me to read the. I don't know. Read a URL. Can we just put it? We'll put it in the. But can you at least? There's a GoFundMe yeah, there, page. There, there is a GoFundMe page for the for the family. Um, uh, I don't. I don't have the. I'm not going to read the like GoFundMe.com/slash whatever. We'll post it on our on our social media. But they they are gathering money for for this family and the and you know there's also I, I dropped by um, the public works office today again i mentioned that the father of the woman who was murdered was um was a is a, works for the city of crystal and they were also doing some kind of targeted fundraising for the family for some specific needs for the kids and for the for the family and so i went and threw some money in the bucket for that but there also is a gofundme for kind of general and their name is if that it, you can search um if you're if you're not on twitter is emily john amelia and eleanor Gerding, right? G E R D I N G. Yes. Um, you can search on GoFundMe. Should Thank we you. make that maybe in the interest of uh, closing it out? Is that fair? If that's maybe yeah. our. Why don't we just have that be our tweet? Collective. Our collective tweet oh, of the week. Okay. I had another good tweet of the week, but that's okay. Well, I, uh, we were. I wanted to end on an upper. Is all. I don't know if that's possible. But go. You, you go ahead. Well, so you had Pat Kessler on the show a few yes. weeks or several episodes ago right and so i love pat's tweets about his parents because his parents are just the most just the cutest looking people so it it was pat kessler's mother's 99th birthday oh over the uh a few days ago it looks like yeah yesterday uh the ninth sorry july 9th so happy 99th birthday to my beautiful mother rose anderson kessler in true Minnesota farm girl understatement, she told us, I've got nothing to brag about until I'm 100. That's wonderful. And I just, you know, occasionally he, you know, he will tweet about his parents and I just, I always enjoy, because that's what I, that's my biggest goal in life is to become a really cute old couple with my wife and we can just be like oh can you cuff, clip that and send it to his wife yeah, that's well, cute yes. we can and be shriveled little old people and, and you know shuffle around and hit people with our canes and stuff and it'll be great yeah. we should note that uh speaking of you and your wife that you celebrated recently celebrated your 23rd wedding anniversary true story true story impressive Way to you, go. do you are, are we in agreement on the tweet our sure tweet? yes okay and we'll end on a strong note with jeff i also just want to say again to you both Thank you so much for filling in for me for the last few weeks. Um, I was a bit rusty at the beginning of the show, but it's, I'm learning how to do this again. You guys have been incredibly kind, generous, and um, the episodes were great. And uh, thank you so much. And Jeff, you're going to stick around for at least one, at least one more episode. Yeah, if everything goes according to plan, we've got a very special guest next week that should make for a much 
different show. If everything yes. does not go according to plan, then it's probably just going to be, um, I don't know, arguing about food takes for 60 minutes. So that'll be fine. Sign me up. Which would be good because you guys are both deserving of it, okay? Okay, who puts like four mustards on their list? Yeah. Come on. Well, I mean, who complicates it? I mean, I mean, first of all, how predictable was she? Just oh, okay. I said in the French's, why didn't if you just use broke. French's yellow mustard or IV brand mustard? Gross. First of all, it's, let me just be clear about what the food takes are, okay? And I'm going to introduce some conflict into the show. It's about my food takes, okay? Which are garbage. My truth. Yes. It's my truth. Your garbage. Okay. And I use your... all of these. All of these are what my are my list. Okay, okay. Don't go to a barbecue at Michael's. He's going to feed well, you. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have barbecue. I, I actually support a lot of mustard. I'm, I'm a okay, big fan. Okay. I'm going to so. have barbecue sauce. I'm going to have that stuff. From McDonald's. But I gotta, I'm not going to I'm not gonna concoct a list, <laughs> nor be as predictable as some people are. Isn't there like a hook or some kind of thing like the Academy Awards? Right. Can you just yes, play the music there. and get it Don't get play us the out? music. All, All right. right. All right. We want to thank you for listening to The Breakdown with Broad Corbin Becky featuring Jeff Kolb and Patrick Connolly. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the, the platform where you listen. You can also leave a review on our website, bbbreakpod.com. That's bbbreakpod.com. Our website, bbbreakpod.com. On Twitter, we're also at at bbbreakpod. That's at bbbreakpod. The Breakdown with Broadcore and Becky and maybe Kolb will return next week. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. And thank you so much for letting me come back. Bye. Bye.